0: If you have your Bibles? Let's turn to two places today. I know, crazy Sunday. Two places. Uh, we're gonna go Matthew chapter 26, and then uh, I want you to put your finger in First Peter chapter two. We're gonna get there, uh, and really, I just we're gonna get there, and I want to show you a verse that's there. Uh, and so you're like, oh, okay. So um, maybe this can change the way that I live after all. And so, uh, but here's what we're doing. We've been walking through some difficult scenes together. Uh, toward the end of the Gospel of Matthew and, and we get to see Jesus do for us the impossible. Uh, that, that that we're moving towards the climax where where Jesus will be crucified on the cross where He will serve as the perfect and the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Uh, and, and then we will get to see Him raise up uh, from the grave giving us access to living with Him uh, for eternity in heaven. And, and these are... These are great truths, no matter who you are. Uh, they're great truths specifically for the believer, in that that we get wrapped up in the gospel every moment of every day. Uh, and then, if you have yet to give in your heart to Christ, these uh, these truths serve as beacons of hope, uh, so that when you do come to Christ, uh, you can see Him more clearly and more fully, and, uh, and and both of our great, all of our greatest needs, I should say, are met. Uh, in Jesus, and this is what I love about the Gospels, and really this is what I love about the way we try to walk through them together, uh, is that every Gospel writer seems to be very patient uh, in the sense that they want to show us moving pieces, some background information, uh, so that as we approach uh, the crucifixion, we know that this has always been the plan. Uh, and in fact, uh, what we've been seeing if we go back to the beginning of chapter 26, Matthew gives us like this, this secret scene almost where you have the church leaders gathered together. You have the, the elders, you have the chief priests, you have um, uh, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, like all of what seems to be written as Jesus' enemies, which again, they aren't, um, but, but seems to be this group of people who desperately hate Jesus. Uh, we get this scene from Matthew. He says they, they've conspired. And they've plotted and had gone from, hey, we need to get this guy out of town to, we need to kill this guy. Uh, it says from that point, they began to look for ways to kill him. And then what we find out as we've traveled uh, is that there's a disciple in the group named Judas uh, who has agreed to betray Jesus. Uh, he went to the chief priest and he says, what will you give me to hand Jesus over to you? And they say, 30 pieces of silver. He says, done deal. Uh, and Judas walks away and it says from that point forward he looked for an opportunity to betray Jesus and and so then Jesus gives us this, this beautiful conversation with his disciples again John, four, John 14, 15, 16, 17 those are my favorites uh, of the last supper scene but nonetheless uh, Matthew tells us that Jesus looks at his guys and says hey um You guys are all about to scatter. One of you guys is going to betray me. Okay? So this is what I love, because that had to be offered to Judas, right? He's already agreed to a sum of money to betray Jesus, and he thinks he's he's walking in the shadows, and Jesus says, Hey, by the way, one of you guys is going to betray me. That's going to happen. Uh, And and he tells them that this very night they will scatter, uh, to which, and I only mention this because this will be pertinent this morning, to which Peter, uh, good old Pete, stands up and says, even if we have to die, I'll be the only one with you. That's fine. I'm not leaving you. Uh, And Jesus looks at him and says, oh, Pete, says this very night, you're going to betray me three times. You're going to deny me three times. And and then this led us last week to the garden where Jesus, um, where the sorrow of Jesus' heart pushes them into the heart of the Father. And he comes out and he prays a prayer. He declares a decision that he has made. and He says, you know, if this willing, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, let your will be done. He declares that God, regardless of my comfort, I want your fame to be known. I want what you are doing to be on display. And then the scene ended, right? Uh, And we all left kind of frustrated because if you're wrapped up in a good book, if you're wrapped up in a good movie or, I'm sorry, a good show, and it leads you to what you think is about to be the climax, and, and the music changes. Jesus has stopped praying. Music starts to change, and it sounds like Darth Vader is coming down the hallway. Uh, Jesus rises, and he says, Rise, my betrayer is at hand. And then we stop. And then the To, to Be Continued sign uh, flashes on the screen, and this is where we are today. Uh, and what we're going to do is we're going to travel through three different scenes, uh, and, and our task Uh, is to watch how Jesus responds in each situation. Uh, I tried, I worked kind of hard this, kind of hard, not super hard apparently, just kind of hard this week on trying to figure out some lesson points and some places we can go and some things we can look at, and I I just couldn't come up with anything. Uh, And so, uh, because every time I was just amazed at the way Jesus responded uh, in each situation. And so this is what we're going to do. We're going to walk through these verses, and I'm just going to give you some commentary on some things that I found to be really interesting uh, in the way that Jesus was acting. And so, uh, let's stop and let's pray and let's say, Father, we come to you. We thank you this morning for your word. We thank you today that you have given us life and you've given us not just breath, but life that has purpose. And I pray as we walk with your son today in these words that, that our hearts would be rendered to him that we would see His great work this morning. That we would see the way He responds in the midst of some really difficult situations. And that we would be able to have a model to follow, but also just courage to stand. We thank You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. so setting's the garden, right? Jesus sees a crowd approaching. Now, what makes this crowd different than most of the other crowds, because we've seen this, right? As we've traveled through the gospel, we've seen Jesus walk in, and it says a crowd gathered around him. What made this crowd a little bit different is that they are walking around with clubs and swords and torches. Okay? Uh, If you have that happening in your life, usually you're on guard, right? If you kind of come up with, if you're carrying a claymore, Right? And you're like, hey, man, I know where you're at, and I know what you're doing. And I will always know what you're doing until you've left my area. Uh, and so this is what happened. Verse uh, 47 in chapter 26 says this, While he was still speaking, okay? and while Jesus was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve. And with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign. Saying this, the one I will kiss is the man. Sees him, and he came up to Jesus at once and said, and "If you like to underline your Bible, there's a great place to go." Greetings, Rabbi. And he, being Judas, kissed him, being Jesus. And Jesus said to him, and we can circle this next word, "Friend," do what you came to do. Then they came up, and they laid hands on Jesus, and they seized him. And and behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest, and cut off his ear. That's a good night, right? Uh, Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once send me to more than twelve legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Okay? First thing really important here. Jesus immediately takes control of this scene. He says, you guys, this crowd thinks that they are in control. I'm just letting you know, I am very much in control here. This is all fulfilling scriptures. And and now before we get to Jesus and Judas and this apparent uh, showdown, let, let's start in verse 52. Um, because Peter does something that's a little bit out of the norm for him. Uh, from To my recollection, he never even punched a person uh, but but Peter in this moment let's talk about it he literally chopped off a dude's ear uh, like that happened that that happened and this is again it's a pretty new action for the squad um, and Luke tells us uh, in Luke chapter 22 it says that uh, that Jesus just simply bends down uh, picks up the ear and restores it on the guy's head which Uh, Makes a really bad night turn out to be a really good one, right? You're like, hey, honey, how was work today? Well, my ear got chopped off, uh, but it's cool. This guy put it back on. You know, that's what's at play. And now I think a good question to ask is who who allowed Peter to carry the sword, right? I mean, I tend to, I don't know, um, relate to Peter in a lot of ways. I feel like he's pretty impulsive, Uh, I feel like he's pretty determined, Uh, and it would be like you handed me your gun. You know, eventually, you're getting shot on accident, hopefully. Um, and and so, so the swords, though, come into play in, in, Luke, in Luke 22. Jesus is talking to his guys, and, and he's telling them how things are about to change. Now, he won't be around. Uh, and he says, you know, before you just kind of went without any money. You went without a robe. You went without a sword. Now I'm telling you things are changing. The world is going to look at you in a different way because of how they look at me. And he says, you'll need to carry a sword. And so they find two swords, right? Uh, and Jesus says, that, that'll that be enough, right? And so this is where swords all of a sudden show up in this scene. Uh, but but Peter reads this scene that's developing in the garden with the crowd and all, and he reads it like we would a horoscope, Say, well, clearly this is what he was talking about. And with every bit of his excitement and energy and determination to love Jesus and to put his love on display, he just... I really feel like Brad Pitt style, like jumping in the air and just, whoosh. and then it gets really awkward because here Peter is, oh, yes, just defended Jesus. And Jesus is looking at him like, what are you doing? What in the world are you thinking? And he's like, sorry, you'll have to forgive Peter. And he's telling this guy in the video. Saying, you'll have to defend Peter. okay? He, he doesn't know what he's doing. I'm just telling you, this is the reimagining of this thing for me. And he looks at it and Jesus looks at him and goes He points out he's not the me. he's not the one who needs rescuing because he is the rescuer. He says that, that even if he didn't, um he, I'm not running to you to defend me, bro. Because I have my father who will send uh just 12 legions of angels. Now, if you didn't bring your conversion chart, let me tell you, that's 72,000 angels. Okay? And so here in this moment, Peter, very sure of himself, um, thinks he can defend Jesus when Jesus says, at my disposal. 72,000 angels. Not running to you, Pete, because right now in this moment, you are outgunned and you are outnumbered. You got lucky with one ear. This is don't, I don't need that. And then... then Take note of of what Jesus says to the crowd. He goes peacefully, and it's the way uh, he rescues those who are arresting him. That that he will spread the gospel not by inflicting violence, but by enduring it for the sake of ours and for the sake of them. That he he says in verse 56 that this is all taking place to fulfill the scriptures of the prophets who are uh, declaring God's great plan to redeem the brokenness of sin, that, that sin has inflicted on mankind, and, and this takes us back to this prayer, Jesus says, hey, I have to do this, because says, I have to fulfill the scriptures, which is all part of this prayer that he's been praying, Father, your will be done. Jesus Jesus could have very easily called for a bell out, but his desire is greater to glorify his Father. And so once Jesus dies and is raised again, we get to see that all of this was about God's great love being placed on display, because even the people who are hostile towards God in this very moment can experience His love. Even the people who want to kill His Son, His love is being poured out in the actions of Jesus. And Guys, this changes everything. This changes absolutely everything. Now, thirdly, let's talk about Judas, because this seems like the showdown of like an old Western, as there's two people standing on two ends of the street, and they're just staring at each other. And we would think that that would be the case, except we're talking about Jesus and Judas. There is no comparison. There is absolutely no comparison. In fact, the fact that uh, the band of soldiers and temple guards carried these weapons and lanterns shows that that Judas doesn't even understand Jesus at all. Because what has Jesus been peppering in while he's walking with his disciples? He says, "One, one day the Son of Man is going to be handed over. One day the Son of Man is going to die. And Judas, in his mind, says, Hey, guys, bring your lanterns, bring your swords, because this guy's going to be hiding somewhere in this garden, right? And his disciples are going to come defend him, so we need to be ready for war. And it just shows that Judas has no idea what Jesus is up to. Not one bit. In fact, I think it's tragic when you walk with the scenes that talk about Judas, because he seems to cheapen everything that he touches. I was reading this week uh, that, that Judas, his name means praise. Could you imagine today somebody, maybe one of your friends, calling their newborn baby Judas? Like, what? It's just, it just means praise. And yet somehow Judas has cheapened his own namesake, who he is. In fact, he, he uses a kiss, which is... Um, intended to be a sign of affection and he turned it into a weapon. And and I think it's verses 49 and 50 that that I think shows something crazy beautiful about Jesus. Okay, 49, Jesus walks in I'm sorry, Judas walks in with the crowd and he says, Greetings, Rabbi. And I think he's like, Hey, greetings, Rabbi. Like, hey guys, in case y'all didn't know the plan, this is the one. This is the one. Greetings, Rabbi, which we said last week was a designation of uh, a determination of his heart, because all of the other disciples call him Lord at this point. They've gone from seeing him as a rabbi to as a man, to rabbi, to Lord. They they've given him all their praise, all their worship, and yet Judas consistently comes in here and calls him Rabbi, which is a very formal designation, showing that that religiously you might be a rabbi, but you're not Lord of my heart and and so uh, Jesus, uh, Judas just keeps it very formal. And, and then Jesus responds to him. And this is what I love. What's that first word that he says? Friend. Friend, do, do what you came to do. And now, depending on how cynical um, or, or sarcastic I'm feeling at the moment can change the inflection of what he's saying. But, but I get the sense that Jesus, he never changes We've never seen him act sarcastically. We've never seen him declare anything in a cynical way. He speaks truth because he is the truth. And so he looks at him, and I get the sense that though Judas wants to keep things formal, Jesus longs to make it personal. Always. And and it reminds me of the accusation a couple chapters back that the church had with Jesus. They came in and they say uh, that, that he eats and he drinks with gluttons and drunkards and he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners and Jesus never denies that accusation. Never does it give him, no, 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 no. I'm not really the friend. never denies it. In fact, he comes in, he's very clear about his desire to seek and to save the lost. He's very clear about it's, it's not the healthy who need a physician, but those who are, are sick. And so, so I get the sense that Jesus is genuinely calling Judas a friend here, and he's calling him a sinner he is willing to die for. That even in, uh, in the upper room, when Jesus uh, bends knee and he washes his disciples' feet, it never says that he excluded Judas. Never once. So I believe very firmly that when Judas walks in and says, "Greetings, Rabbi," and he looks at him with all the love in the world, he says, "Hello, friend." He says, do, "Do what you came to do." That Jesus is the sacrifice required, and when we are most hostile towards God, which is Judas's case right now, Jesus still calls us friend. Okay. So they take him. Then they move him. We'll talk about this in the next scene. Verse 57. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter, okay, we're just getting this sprinkled in, by the way. And Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false... Uh, testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death but they found none though many false witnesses came forward at last two came okay you need to circle those two words two came forward and they said this man said I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days and the high priest stood up and said have you no answer to make what is it that these men testify against you but Jesus remained silent. Okay, and I you to circle two came forward because because that's what they needed uh, when it came to the law of God. And if you were to bring an accusation apart uh, against someone, you needed to have at least two witnesses. Okay, so so the fact that they had all these people come in and they couldn't find it and said that last two, so they find two guys to give false testimony. And so, But what we're finding out here is, is Jesus' silence is actually something beautiful and powerful. In fact, it fulfills a scripture that we find in Isaiah 53 where it says this, He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and a sheep that before its shears is silent, so He opened not His mouth mouth. And the truth is, the accusation about before Jesus, he, he couldn't deny. Uh, he, he made this statement but he that also he couldn't explain it to these worldly minded men what he was doing. Uh, they thought he was bringing in a wrecking ball to tear it all down. But, so he said, he remains silent. He gives us this example of what to do when we are being treated unjustly. And let's just assume for the moment that you literally are in those moments being treated unjustly. Uh, you're not just in those moments just being a baby. Alright? Let's just assume that you truly are being treated unjustly. First Peter chapter two gives us this, this mindset. It says this, verse 18 servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. okay? This is where Jesus is. He's standing in front of unjust masters. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one who endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you are, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. What credit is that? you you've earned that right, right? You've earned that affliction. But if, when you do good and you suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin. Okay, you could think about this as relevant in the scene that we're walking through in Matthew. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threatened, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Being God the Father. He says, in this moment you guys might think that you are judging over me, but you are not. I have been entrusting myself to my Father. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin, live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been. we just take that verse and just put it right on the back of it. Because it should constantly be at work. By his wounds you have been healed. So, so Jesus' silence and his accusation should not be confused with, with weakness. Rather it should be celebrated as strength. Now, the fact that he doesn't yell at the crowd like he would be if he was a guest on like um, Maury Povich's show, Right? Where he's calling him out. You want some of this? Come on. No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't. He doesn't yell. He doesn't defend himself. He just remains silent. Therefore, fulfilling the prophecy spoken about him. And we. This is what we get to see uh, in verse 63. And the high priest said to him. All right, so Caiaphas uh, said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you, know, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and come in on the clouds of heaven. Verse 65, Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? Okay? So Caiaphas says, You've heard it. That's, this is it. The trap was set. Jesus walked right into it, right? He says, what's what's your judgment, guys? And it says this. They answered, he deserves death. And they spit in his face and they struck him. And some slapped him. By his wounds you are killed. They said this, prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that that struck you? And so here's, here's what's happening. The false witnesses come up, Jesus remains silent. He gives no defense. And it's not enough. And so Jesus chooses to speak, though, but only when it's regarding who he is. Are you the Christ? And so he speaks. And he puts Jesus or Caiaphas puts Jesus under oath. And now we might we think too cheaply of the truth in our day and age. We really do. Uh, we have a hard time, I think, understanding oath-keeping. And so when it comes to uh, the Jews, though, in this time, oath-keeping held with it a sentence of death if you broke it. In fact, so many times in the Old Testament, you find the children of God walking around saying, be it ever so severely if I break this oath. Let God deal with me justly if I break this oath. Let God kill me if I break this oath. And so now Jesus is under oath. Right? This is what Caiaphas says. Tell us in the sight of God, are you the Christ? And he says, You said it so. so. Because I am. Absolutely. And then uh, what, what has uh, Caiaphas tearing his robes in a Hogan fashion, right? Uh, if you don't know who Hogan is, you know what I'm talking about, then you're out of luck. Um, but what has him tearing the robe? Is that, that Caiaphas is the strongest, is the most powerful man in the room. He's the most powerful man in this room. And Jesus looks at him and says, There will be a day when I stand in judgment over you. And he can't take it. He can't take it. There's absolutely no submission. And so the crowd calls for death. And I think, uh, though this trial is happening kind of in the middle of the night, uh, and, and that this is what is considered to be a public hearing because where we go next is the pilot. I think this is the first time though we've seen the people in a public declaration say we want to kill him. That's that's damning evidence. It really is. They said we want to kill him. And then Jesus is struck and he's spit on and he begins to be mocked and and as painful as that is, and as degrading as that is, okay? If you don't think being spit on is degrading, let me do it to you, and we'll see how you do okay? Just letting you know. You, you won't like it. It only gets worse, though, from here on out. It only gets worse. So let's, let's talk about Peter. Verse 69. Now, Peter was. "...sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath, I do not know the man. And after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you two are one of them for your accent betrays you. I think he was speaking in a French accent, by the way. And then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately, okay, when? Immediately, the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went, out and he wept bitterly, bitterly. And I think bitterly, uh, it's like snot bubbles kind of praying, like just can't get it under control. Warren Wiersbe said this, that that Peter's denial of Christ was the climax of a series of failures. When the Lord first warned Peter that, that he would be tested by Satan, Peter affirmed his faith and his ability to remain true to the Lord. In pride, Peter argued with the word of God. He even dared to compare himself to the other disciples and affirm that though they might fall, he would remain true. And in Luke 22, uh, where it says uh, that the rooster crowed, uh, Luke tells us that, that at that moment Jesus looked at Peter, like they locked eyes. And now, what's what's been happening though? He's been being beaten been spit on. He's been mocked. And I think there's this parting of a sea that only God could provide. And that rooster crowed, Peter remembers, and he looks up and he sees Jesus. And I think it's that sorrow that that causes him to weep bitterly. And it doesn't take... uh, It it reminds me of of this verse that, that the heart may be strong, but the flesh is... This week. And, and it doesn't take, I used to love to pick on Peter. Uh, I used to love to say, what an idiot that guy is. You know, But it takes me almost zero seconds to find sympathy for him. Almost zero. Because, because I look at my life and I realize that there are moments when my desire for Jesus comes in conflict with my desire for temptations. There, there are moments when uh, my willingness to give it all to Christ comes in conflict at the moment when he's asking me to, give something small to him. He went, no 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 I, I like that small thing. And he says, no 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 it's fine. No 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 you don't understand. You can have anything else. You can have my broccoli, that's fine. I don't want that. But not this. So I, I can I can identify with Peter, but and it would be a tragedy if this was the way that it ends for him, right? If If you say, ah, Peter went bitterly, and then we're left wondering what happened to that guy. But luckily, because we can identify with Peter, we can celebrate the fact that God doesn't leave us guessing what happened. Because we're going to find out that Peter is going to do some incredible things uh, for the glory of God, even in the midst of this moment. That God is going to give him an opportunity to hit reset on the regret of this moment. That he can get past this. In fact, Jesus will seem more willing to let Peter get past this faster than Peter's even willing to get past this. In fact, Peter, as the Holy Spirit comes upon him in the book of Acts, uh, he will help lead the first century church. He will be part of spreading the gospel where the reach of it has an effect on us right now. Okay? So, So let's start wrapping this up. But this is where I want us to go into John 21. I'm sorry, I should have said that earlier. John 21. Can I get you to switch to one more um, passage there? It's an epilogue. None of the other gospels give us this scene, uh, but John 21. Here's what's happening. Peter seems to be kind of living in the guilt of his actions. He he's found by the Sea of Tiberius with some of his disciples, and he's looking at the ocean, and he just kind of gets up, and I can see the scene playing out. He's like, I'm going fishing. And the disciples, some of the other disciples say, We're, we'll go with you. And so they get in this boat, and they go out, and they fish all night long. And they don't find anything. They don't catch anything. Which I'd imagine, since I'm like Peter, my argument is like, well, nothing can go right for me now. And it says, morning came, and there's a man on on the on the shore, and he shouts out to them, hey, have you caught any fish? And, and they say, no, and... He says, well, throw your net to the other side, and you'll, you'll catch some, uh, to which I'm sure these guys loved that advice, right? Don't we all love unsolicited advice, especially when something hasn't gone right? And you're like, I don't know why this isn't working. Well, have you tried the most obvious thing? So they throw the net to the other side, and it says that all these fish come into the net, and, and John kind of hits Peter and says, it's, it's Jesus. And it says that Peter stood up and, and, and he put on his robe for he has taken it off, which I'm sure all the guys love that too. Peter's just hanging out in his underwear. Right? And he jumps overboard and he swims about 100 yards. You're like, dang, that's pretty good. right? I wouldn't barely make it across the pool at the house. But Peter's just going at a 100 yards. And he gets to the, uh, to the shore and he's standing in front of Jesus. And I believe this is the first time they've been just the two of them And I imagine Peter looks at Jesus and he has some things he wants to say. A burden that has just attached itself to his heart. And he, I imagine the scene, he starts to say it. And Jesus says, hey, let's eat some breakfast. The disciples are following Peter uh, and they're bringing in, they're hauling in this huge amount of fish and Jesus cooks breakfast for them. What an amazing, amazing thing, right? That Jesus sits around the intimacy of a campfire and he serves the disciples. And then it comes time for him and Peter to talk. I'm just going to read it to you. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Ah, that's a pertinent question, right? And Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, "Tend my sheep. And he said to Peter the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? and Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time do you love me and he said to him lord you know everything you know you know everything you you know i love you and jesus said feed my sheep and then he says this truly truly i say to you when you were young you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted but when you are old you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And, and Jesus is telling Peter this to describe the kind of death he would have and it would glorify God. And then, then after saying this though, Jesus says to Peter, follow me. Follow me. Now here's what you need to know about Peter. The first time he sees Jesus, first time it's recorded he sees Jesus, you know what Jesus tells him? No? I'll tell you. Follow me. Follow me. And I love the fact that Jesus chooses these two words. Let's go. Follow me. Let's get back on it. Let's get back at it. And this is is what I love. This is what I want you to hear. That Jesus helps Peter reset on his regret. And the one moment that haunted him, which he would give anything to get back, a chance to change, Jesus takes Peter into recognizing his very heart, his very love that he has for Christ. And this is why I love it. Jesus doesn't throw Peter away. He doesn't. And because he doesn't throw Peter away, he doesn't throw you away. He doesn't look at Peter and say, you know, ah, I don't know if I can trust you again. I don't know if I can give you that kind of opportunity again. He doesn't do that. Instead, he comes in and he just says, follow me. Do you, do you love me? And here's what I know. Jesus knows that Peter loves him. That this is about Peter's heart coming in. Saying, yeah, I do. Because my bet is that Peter laid up at night wondering, I know I said I loved him, but did I, when, when it came to it, did I really love Christ? And I think the enemy will whisper, and I think his own doubt would whisper. He says, No, you don't. And so when this gracious, loving, compassion of Jesus comes in, he's like, Do you love me? And it's like Peter's heart begins to find strength once more. He says, You know I love you. Jesus says, Alright, good. Follow me. Alright, let's go again. And if Jesus does that with Peter, I believe so firmly, he does that with us. That's why God gives us scriptures about confessing our sins, about repenting, about walking in the light that Jesus has, about getting up when you fall. Because Jesus doesn't throw us away. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Please stand with me we wrap up, let's make a couple things available to you. If you need prayer today, if you need, maybe there's just a burden that you're carrying, maybe maybe you've never asked Jesus into your heart, we want to walk with you through that. Uh, the Woodwards and, and Mark and Michelle, they'll be up here, they want to pray with you. You just need to take some time and ask God to search your heart. This place is available for that. I love you guys. That's right. Father, We love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you're willing to show us these things. We pray that we would have seen Jesus more clearly today. It's in his name we pray.